What's up, everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift. We're an SLP couple from California with three boys and a passion for finding better ways to support autistic kids. I'm Chris. You might know me as Speech Dude. I'm a neurodivergent high school SLP and the creator of the dynamic assessment of social-emotional learning, and I specialize in crafting neurodiversity-affirming IEPs through my online course. And I'm Jesse, a sensory integration trained SLP, owner of a top rated clinic in Los Angeles, and the creator of the Inside Out Sensory Communication Programs for Parents and Therapists. Join us weekly to learn neurodiversity affirming ways to support social emotional development and regulation in autistic kids. Are you ready to make the shift? Let's do it. Hello, hello, and welcome to Making the Shift. It is just me today, your less loud half of this pair. I hope everyone had a great Halloween. It was a lot of fun for us. I think the key was having low expectations, but I don't know. It's like this idea of having high hopes, but low expectations. Is that a thing or is that contradictory? Can I have both of those? Because that's kind of the mentality I went into trick-or-treating with. And it was like one of those things where we just were going to go, we were going to have a good time. We know our kids like candy, didn't really matter, you know, how long we were out or what order we went down the streets or whatnot. And it was just so funny watching Jack because he's like old enough now, you know, last year, I think we were mostly carrying him around this year. He can walk and he's just like, who are these random people wearing scary things, giving me candy, my favorite thing in the world. And, but he got the hang of it. It was really, really cute. He just like had this bewildered look on his face though, the whole night. He never, he never understood, (laughs) but we stayed up late and I'm just now asking myself how long until the candy wears off because seriously, they were still hyped up the morning after. And now I'm a little afraid that it might have permanent X. Anyway, I hope you had a great Halloween and I'm excited for tonight's topic, which is all about my top 10 neurodiversity affirming ways to support autistic kids. And I will tell you how this came up to be, which was that Chris and I just presented last week a full day seminar for a few hundred SLPs locally, relatively speaking, traffic LA, a little bit far, but it was really fun. And what I've just noticed after training so many professionals and being able to do lots of these um, seminars that we get so many of the same questions and they always fall back on these very specific topic areas. So what I did was I put together a list of the top 10 topic areas or strategies you really need to focus on if you are trying to be a neurodiversity affirming therapist, or if you are the parent of an autistic child and you want to adopt more neurodiversity affirming practices, these are the top 10. It always comes back to these 10. In all of the trainings we do, I own a clinic here in Los Angeles. We train lots of other professionals. We have lots of kids who have large teams. It always comes down to these 10 things. And if I could have every professional trained in these 10 areas, I would. That's how powerful they are. 
So we are going to jump through those today. So let's just go ahead and get started. The first one, pretty obvious, but really helping people understand how to operate from the neurodiversity paradigm. So really understanding what is neurodiversity and how does neurodiversity and the neurodiversity relate to autism, because we know neurodiversity is this bigger umbrella term and lots of different brain differences fall under that umbrella. So how does neurodiversity specifically relate to autism? And this is something that we really need everyone to understand. We need them to understand, you know, the idea of if we had a bell curve that that big chunk in the middle would represent all the neurotypical brains and all of those brains in the ends would represent the neurodivergent brains because those are the brains that are diverging from the middle, from the norm. So really helping people to understand that, helping parents, teachers to understand that. And the whole thing here is that making sure that differences are not viewed as deficits. And that leads me into number two, the second most important thing that people need to know, which is, or the importance of adopting the perspective that autism is an identity and autism is a neurotype. Okay. So that kind of flows from understanding the neurodiversity paradigm into understanding autism as an identity, as a neurotype, honoring autism as a brain type. Okay, we know that autistic people communicate with other autistic people just as well as neurotypical people communicate with neurotypical people. It's when the two interact with each other where information may be lost and communication styles may differ. So when we can understand and appreciate autism as its own brain type, that means that we are respecting this person as their brain functioning differently. And for so many autistic people, they say autism is such an important part of their agency. It's such an important part of who they are, which is why we default to using identity first language, saying autistic person rather than what is taught to us, person first language, child with autism, for example. But when we can understand that autism is critical to a person's identity, that leads us to support them in building that identity rather than trying to make it something where we're taking it away from them. So the next one, number three, is using a strengths-based approach. Again, that probably doesn't come as a surprise to you, but I think there's a lot of, you know, misconceptions about what it means to use a strengths-based approach. And it doesn't mean only focus on what the kid can do and ignore everything else, right? It means take the strengths of the child to cultivate and foster the skills and abilities they have while also figuring out the areas where they can use support. Okay, we know autism is a disability. Disability is not a dirty word. What that means is that autistic people need support and accommodations. So our job is to figure out what those are. But we don't always just want to focus on the deficits because when we focus on the deficits that leads to deficits-based goal writing, which leads us to create our therapy toward trying to change people. It try, trying to fix, quote, fix those deficits as opposed to really helping kids support them in what we are truly trying to accomplish. 
So when we focus on using a strengths-based approach, that dictates the language that we use. And when we can use more strengths-based language, that completely will frame the way that others will perceive the child. It will change the way the child will perceive themselves. And that's the most important thing of all. So making sure to use strengths, a strengths-based approach. Okay, so number one, we had operating from the neurodiversity paradigm. Number two was adopting the perspective that autism is a neurotype and an identity. Number three was using a strengths-based approach. Number four is aim toward building higher level language and communication. Now, when I say this, I mean, our goal is to play the long game. We are not playing the short game here. Playing the short game, which would mean bringing kids into a session, rewarding them for complying and trying to teach them how to say, I want juice, I want pen, I want iPad. Okay, that would be the short game. We can do that for our kids. I don't wanna say fairly easy, easy, but there's been times in the past before I knew anything about other approaches where my goal was getting them to say, I want, and great, we were able to do it. But that is not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is higher level language, which means we need to play the long game. And that means that we really need to, in the short term, focus on those foundational skills that we need in order to develop all of those skills. That means we need to focus on getting them regulated. We need to center our sessions more around engaging the child and building that relationship. And we need to really focus on intrinsic motivation. So regulation, engagement, motivation, these are all foundational skills to reach these higher level language and cognitive skills. And that is what I mean is we need to play the long game, which means focusing on these foundational skills first. Okay, next one, and this will come as no surprise to you, honor their sensory differences. Knowing kids' sensory differences is such a critical piece of understanding them, understanding their behavior, understanding their communication, helping them learn, right? Of course, sensory is huge in communication and language and learning, but it is also critical in being comfortable in everyday life. And what happens so often is that we are invalidating kids' sensory needs. No, that sweater's not itchy. No, those lights aren't too bright. And we are getting them to almost question their reality. This was a really cool conversation I had with Chloe Estelle, an autistic coach who's also the mentor in our parent program, who, and she runs a support group there. But that was one thing that she really taught me was that we have to be able to honor these sensory differences so that these kids know that what they're experiencing is real. They're experiencing the world from a sensory perspective in a lot different ways than you might be or I might be. So, so important to understand kids' sensory differences so that we can help make those adjustments and modifications to the environment and to their routines to make them more comfortable in daily life but so that we can also help them to maintain more of a state of regulation, which will help their learning. Okay, number six is co-regulate as needed. We have so much focus on self-regulation. 
It's like everyone thinks the goal is self-regulation. Co-regulation, regulating with another person, helping, you know, giving a child your calm to try to get them regulated. That is never a need that goes away. Think about when you are driving home from work after a stressful day, who are you going to call? right? You're going to call someone. You might call like your mom. You might call your partner. You might vent to them when you get home. You're co-regulating. Sometimes we are really stressed and we just need someone to talk us down. Okay. So understanding that co-regulation is so important and guess how kids develop self-regulation through co-regulation. Okay. So we cannot just not give any kids, not give anyone co-regulation, not co-regulate with them, and then just expect them to all of a sudden pop up and have self-regulation one day. That is something that they learn over time. That's something that is developed through interactions with caregivers who are truly supportive of us, who are attuned to our needs. And self-regulation is something that is so important and it really helps kids to build those regulation skills over time. All right. The next one is validate. Always validate. And we touched on this a little already, but here's the thing. Okay. If you walk downstairs in the morning and you were really tired, imagine you said to your significant other, oh, I'm so tired. I did not sleep well last night. Okay. What do you want them to say? Do you want them to say, oh, that's, that sucks. You better suck it up. Cause you've got a lot of work to do today. Or would you rather them say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It's so hard going to work when you didn't sleep well. Okay. I hope we all would choose the second one. That's what we want. We just want to feel seen. We want to feel heard. And in order to do that, we need to validate kids. And like I said, it's so easy for us to invalidate kids. And oftentimes it's unintentional, right? It's us thinking that, oh, well, we're just going to help. We're going to skip this emotional part and we're just going to move on to the problem solving. Okay. But we can't skip the emotional part because that is the part that the child needs to work through with us. That is the part we have to focus on if we are really trying to build this child's emotional well-being. And especially with autistic kids who have differences in their sensory processing, who have differences in their emotional regulation, who have differences in their communication and socialization styles, it's super important for us to validate those differences and validate how they are experiencing the world. Okay, so validate. All right, the next one is focusing on intrinsic motivation. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard someone say, oh, well, he's, he's just not motivated. Okay. And be honest, like how many of us have said that about a kid? Nope. He's just not motivated. He's not going to do it. But here's the thing. Kids are never not motivated. It's just that they may be motivated by something other than what you want them to be motivated by right? Maybe they are not motivated to sit at that table and play this turn-taking game with you, but maybe they're very motivated to go get up and try to walk out of the room, right? It's not that they aren't motivated. It's where is their motivation? Where does it lie? And 
we know that intrinsic motivation is critical for learning. It's like, we might learn things that we have to learn because we're being rewarded for learning them, but we really need to, if we are having that learning, that's going to last a lifetime, we need to be intrinsically motivated. Like that desire to learn, that desire to interact, that desire to communicate has to come from within. It has to be something that is inherently satisfying to us. When I'm in sessions with kids, I don't want them playing with me because I told them, if you play with me, you're going to get a two minute break. I want them playing with me because it's fun and I'm funny and it's engaging and we're being silly and they're having the best time. And because it feels good. That's why we want our kids interacting with us. So that is what we need to do more of is focus on that intrinsic motivation, focus on feeling good. If you are in a session and you are having fun, chances are that kid is going to be having fun. Okay. That's the best advice I can give to you. And I feel that way as a parent too. Like if I'm having fun during this activity, chances are my kid is going to be having fun too. Really making it fun for them and making it so that it is intrinsically motivating for you to be there with them, for them to be there with you. That is how you build trust in a relationship. And we know that we need trust in order to feel secure, in order to be regulated, in order to build engagement, in order to build language, on and on and on. It's such a layered thing we're dealing with here. Okay, I've got two more for you. Ready? The next one is supporting their special interests. So again, these are the top 10 neurodiversity affirming ways you can support autistic kids support their special interests. For some, they might call it high focused areas of interest. Um, one way to do that is by not calling them obsessions. <laughs> okay, easy way. But obsessions has this really negative connotation. It implies that it's something they shouldn't be doing and then they need to do less of it. When in reality, some of the most successful autistic people had those interests nurtured and cultivated from a very young age to get them to where they are today. Like we might have a, a person who has this deep love and passion for drawing and guess what? They end up working at Disney animation studios. Okay. We need to understand that these special interests are really important part of them and piece of their lives, but also have the potential to stick with them and, and help them do incredible things in the future. Okay. And not only that, these interests could make them their best friends, right? Think about going into a party or a room with a bunch of people. Would you rather talk to the person who is the exact same age as you and just looks the exact same as you? Or would you rather talk to the person who has the same interests as you? Chances are, if you meet someone who has an equal love of something that you do, you're going to, you're not going to care how old that person is or, or who that person is. You're going to care that you guys are both on the same wavelength because you have these interests that you share together. So helping kids to really, and, and honoring what those interests are can really help them to form lifelong friendships and relationships. Okay. And our last one is recognizing that self-advocacy is the ultimate goal. 
Okay. Our goal here is for our kids to advocate for themselves and yeah, it takes time and it takes experience and it takes age and knowledge and all of this, but self-advocacy truly starts from such a young age. And that means listening to kids when they are telling you, yes, I like this. No, I don't like this. That's the simplest way to honor that their ability to advocate for themselves is by listening to them. So knowing that we want to protect our kids, we want to do everything we can for our kids. And we also want them to grow up to be able to advocate for their own needs, right? We are not always going to school with them. They are not always going to have someone around them to advocate for what those needs are. So helping them to understand what those needs are and then advocate for those needs. Okay, so here's the 10 things we talked about, the 10 strategies or topic areas we talked about. And I want you to think about how well or confident do you feel in each one of these, okay? Operating from the neurodiversity paradigm, adopting the perspective that autism is an identity and a neurotype, using a strengths-based approach, aim toward building higher level language and cognitive skills, playing the long game, honoring their sensory differences, helping kids co-regulate, not just self-regulate, always validating, focusing on building intrinsic motivation, supporting their special interests, and recognizing self-advocacy is the ultimate goal. These are truly the top 10 areas that if I could train every person in these areas, I would because I know it would have such an incredible impact on the child. Okay, but before we wrap for today, I wanted to let you know about an exciting opportunity to learn a lot more about these topics. As you may know, I'm a sensory integration trained SLP. I'm the CEO of Pediatric Therapy Playhouse, which is a top ranked clinic here in Los Angeles. And I'm the creator of the Inside Out Global Sensory Programs for Parents and Therapists. And I teach parents and other professionals how to support kids in neurodiversity affirming ways and how to build their regulation and their communication. I designed something called Autism Support Resources for Teams. I will put a link in the description in the show notes so that you can check it out and learn, learn more about it. And Autism Support Resources is essentially a one-stop shop for educating others on a neurodiversity-affirming approach. In Autism Support Resources, we give you everything you need to fully understand all of these 10 areas we talked about today plus how to teach them to others. It is absolutely critical that people understand these 10 areas. If they want to be a neurodiversity affirming therapist, parent, supportive person in this child's life, these are the areas that we have found it is very critical for them to understand. I was finding myself, this is how this came to be. I was finding myself so frustrated because we have these kids, like I mentioned earlier, who have these massive teams and I would spend hours training these teams, trying to get people on the phone, sending emails, sending video messages, trying to get on their team meetings. Right. And I felt like no one was ever on the same page all at the same time. Like I could not get everyone trained in everything I wanted to at the same time. And then maybe we would get to a place where we are so close. And then like this just happened last week in our clinic, one of our kids came in with an, and a new aid walked by. And I said to the therapist, like, who's that? 
And they said, oh, that's her new one-to-one. And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) what? It's like, we're starting from square one. I just finished training her last one-to-one. And now there's this new one. So I was spending so many hours trying to train people, trying to get people on board because it's so important that everyone is on board. It cannot just be one person. It cannot just be the parent. It cannot just be one SLP. It can't. It has to be every person on the child's team, every caregiver in the child's life, truly, in order to have the type of impact that we want it to have. So I was having these conversations over and over and over again, and I created autism support resources in order to solve my problem that I was having here and that we were having in our clinic, which is wanting to train more people on a larger scale and train them all at once and make sure everyone was on board. Okay. So my co-host of autism support resources is Jamie Boyle. She is an autistic SLP and her input is so incredible. It's, it's so valuable. This is a mixed medium product, meaning you, after you purchase it, you get videos, you get handouts and worksheets. You'll get so many resources that you can use to educate others on all of these topic areas. But it was so important for me to have autistic input on this. That is why we flew Jamie out and her boyfriend from the East Coast to spend a few days with us out here in California filming all these videos. We also have other contributors to Autism Support Resources, other autistic friends and colleagues, including Chloe Estelle, who's an autistic coach, KJ Daniels, who is an autistic advocate, and Sam Roundtree, who is another autistic SLP. So the best part of autism support resources is that it's shareable. It is not just meant for you to purchase and then keep it with yourself and look at with only your eyes. It is meant for you to take and share with your whole team of whoever your client's team is or your child's team if you're a parent, okay? So again, this comes with a ton of video explanation. These are all super high quality, professionally trained videos that Jamie and I did together, where it describes each of these topic areas, short, bite-sized, to the point, and easy to send. So they're all shareable, meaning you say, I really want the team to learn about intrinsic motivation and moving away from reward systems. Here's this video link. I'm going to send this to the team. Hey guys, please check out this video. It's going to describe to you where we're going and please watch it by Friday. Okay. And then we've got a bunch of handouts and things like that. You can pass along to other professionals as well. Okay. So this is meant to save you time and energy. That is why it was created. And like I said, I made it for myself. And then I realized that after working with so many other therapists that everyone was having the same problem as me. And we're all tired of just having the same conversations over and over. And to be honest, we don't have time for that. If you are a therapist like me, you just don't feel like you have time for that. If you are a parent with a child who has a large team, you may get one meeting a month with that team if you're lucky. Okay. We're not getting a ton of face-to-face time. So that's why it's so easy to have these resources. You could just take and share. Okay. And this is for you, no matter where you are on your neurodiversity affirming journey. If you are just getting started, 
this is going to be an incredible resource for you because you're going to learn so much for it for yourself. (laughs) But even if you're on the opposite end, even if you're like, I'm the conductor of this neurodiversity affirming train, let's go. And you're just looking for ways to get other people on board that train with you. This is going to be the single most effective thing you can get to do, to do that, to achieve that result, to accomplish that, because this makes it so easy for you to just grab what you want to train someone on and send it out and not have to do any of the work. This was truly creative necessity. It was created to save time and energy, and it helped me so, so much. And I really hope it can do the same for you. Just to give you uh, some perspective here, I guess we have lots of programs within Inside Out that range anywhere from like $1,000 to over $3,000. This is a few hundred dollar product. Okay. This is something we really wanted people to be able to use. If you're a therapist, we want you to be able to use it with all of your clients and all of the teams that you are serving. And if you're a parent, we wanted you to be able to take this to your team, to your teacher and say, hey, look, I really want to do this for my kid. This is really important for me. Now, here's what I want out of my kid's treatment. Here's what I want his approach to look like. And let's go do that. So I'm, I'm very excited. I hope that this helps you in the same way that it helped me and the therapist here in my office. So make sure to click that link if you want to check it out. So thank you everyone for being here today. I hope that you were able to get a lot of ideas for where you are going, kind of the areas you feel confident and strong in, and then the areas you're still hoping to grow in. So thank you so much for being here and till next time. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.